And amen. Christ is exalted over all. Christ is risen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming today on this glorious day where we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this gives us great hope. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but um, I want to, uh, to just say that I believe God wants to speak to you today. And that's been our big prayer this week, and so let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that you have given us your all, that it was all or nothing. You gave us your son, Jesus. He died on a cross, and he rose again so that we might have hope, and hope everlasting, a living hope, a hope that starts today. And God, I pray that each one of us here would, would recognize this, this gift from you. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, came to take away the sins of the world. And God, would we have our hearts open as you open up your word to, our, to us, Lord, and our minds and our hearts would be ready to receive and to, to take action. And we pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth. God's people said, amen. amen and amen. Easter's often a time for family, and probably some of you are going to get some extra time with your family this, uh, this weekend, and that's it's wonderful. I want to just talk about your parents for a moment. Not your biological parents, because some of you say, how do you know? I don't even, you don't even know my parents. Not your adopted parents. I want to talk about your first parents and my first parents, going all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. This is really important because we need to understand as we celebrate Christ's resurrection how this all began and why there even needs to be a resurrection, why God would send his son down to earth. So Adam and Eve, they were created by God perfect. And they were put in a garden. How many of you did, not maybe did gardening this weekend, but maybe did a little bit of raking up of leaves or things like that, right? A few of you. Explains why we love gardens. We were first created and to take care of a garden and to be fruitful and multiply and to take care of all the animals and the fish. And we human beings are still doing that. Well, Adam and Eve enjoyed fellowship with God. And God had one rule, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was just the one rule. They could enjoy everything else. But there was this one rule. It was an all or nothing rule. If you break it, there's tremendous cursing. There's tremendous problems. If you keep it, there's tremendous blessing. Well, Adam and Eve... They broke God's rule. They were tempted by Satan, the devil, and they broke God's rule. And because of that, our lives are broken. Adam and Eve wanted not just to enjoy that fruit, and, and yet they also really, I think, struggle with the first time of, of FOMO. You know what FOMO is, right? Fear of missing out. They thought they were going to miss out, that the serpent had tempted them, saying, you know, you shall be like God if you eat from this fruit. And they were already created in God's image. 
Satan sold them a bill of goods, but it wasn't good for them. In fact, it was evil. And because of that, we've experienced so much brokenness and evil in this world. The good news is, though, following God can still be an all-in experience, an all-in adventure. Today, as we celebrate the resurrection, we want to declare that this is an all-in opportunity by God. It's an invitation to be all-in. You say, well, can't I just be half-in? How does that work for your partner and spouse? I'm just going to be half-in. Do you think that's going to go well for you? No, your spouse, your partner wants you to be all-in. How about your employer? Say, you know, I'm just going to be half-in. No, your employer wants you to be all-in. They don't want you to be half-in or working for their competitor. How about a team? Does a team say, you know what? It's okay. Just give half-hearted efforts. No. You expect when you play for a team for everybody to be all-in. And today, God wants you to be all in. And the reason why is because God was all in for us when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Lots of us love stories where you lose all and then regain all. I have a friend named Dave. He grew up in Oshawa. He worked for GM, General Motors. And um, things are going pretty good for him. And uh, then he started to develop lung problems, some type of respiratory disease. And his lung capacity came down to 30%. And yet he, he, he really wrestled saying, God, like, you're taking all this. I've, I've got a great job. I've got um, you know, a good life. I've met this, this woman that he'd been married. And, and it seemed like God was taking these things away. Then he started to um, meet some people who had an interest in helping those who are homeless in Toronto. He went to Tyndall University, and he uh, became part of their, their urban missions training, and he would go into Toronto, and he would, he would take just whatever needs, food, whatever, and help the male prostitutes, the transvestites in Toronto, and help them. And in Dave's words, this was some of the best time of his life. He would, um, he would go and actually he and his wife would wash the feet of the homeless. And in two years, probably a thousand people, they figured they, they washed their feet. And yet, as this was happening, he was continuing to struggle physically. And you know, when you're struggling physically, that can really affect your mind too, Right? Mentally, and so he became depressed. And he says, God, I don't know what, what's going on. I feel like I'm losing everything. One day he was driving in the streets of Oshawa, and um, he saw some youth uh, who were also homeless. And he decided, you know what, I'm going to go spend time with them. Most of the youth just love to play a euchre, so he brought some cards and brought a, a lighter and he would just hang out and talk to them. And what became um, out of this was a ministry called The Refuge. A refuge who would care for street youth. My own wife, Lori, 
would, would work there and volunteer there and, and help. Here's a guy named Dave who lost seemingly everything. Good job. Struggled with his health and his mental well-being. And yet God gave him a ministry. He resurrected a ministry that is still helping people to this day. Jesus is about resurrection. Maybe today you feel like you've lost everything. I want to tell you that with the hope of the resurrection, that not everything is lost. Remember the story I started with, with Adam and Eve. Paradise was lost. We suffered. We still are suffering. But because of Jesus Christ, we can regain all found through Christ. Found through Christ. See, Jesus was entirely good. And because of that, we have hope. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. And uh, if you don't have a Bible today, we'd love to give this to you today. Just put up your hand. We have a gift. This is for you to keep. And um, we encourage you to read the Gospel of Mark. There's 66 books in the Bible. And um, we would love for you to, uh, to have a copy of God's Word. I think there's some over here. And, and uh, we'd read, we encourage you to read the Gospel of Mark because that will help you get, uh, in, a, in a real quick way, get to read the story of Jesus. If you please stay with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read from 1 Peter 3.18. Those online you can see on the screen as well as those here. If you can't find that, you look up in the table of contents and find... Uh, 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Here's what it reads. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went to proclaim to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Please be seated. This is the word of life for you today. This is hope. Good Friday. We talked about the fact that God is for you. Jesus is for you. He for we. Remember we talked about that? We talked about the worst trade in history. And, and how I, my own personal theory is the worst trade in history was Wayne Gretzky leaving the Edmonton Oilers to go to the Los Angeles Kings. And I blame that all on his wife, Janet Jones. Remember that? What I didn't tell you was I kind of got the Americans back because I got a beauty of my own that I brought up to Canada. So, you know, I think we're even now. But the worst trade in history became the best trade in history because Jesus died on a cross for us. And he died for you and for me. His perfect life for our imperfect ones. His Righteous life for our unrighteousness. His good for our bad. It's an awesome trade. And it gives us hope. 
Jesus went willingly to the cross. He didn't call his followers to protest. He didn't call his followers to rise up. He knew he had to die on a cross so that he could rise up from the grave. And this gives us great hope today. Great hope. We move today from the penalty of our sin, that cursing that started with Adam and Eve, to the power over sin through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what does the resurrection mean for us? What does the resurrection mean for us? The resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is made alive. Present tense. He's still alive. Jesus is made alive. The resurrection means Jesus is made alive. Made alive in the spirit. This is what we see in the second half of verse 18. The first half we talked about on Friday. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but what? Made alive in the spirit. Made alive in the spirit. What does that mean, to be made alive in the spirit? Well, he was put to death in the flesh. He physically died. He didn't swoon. He actually died physically as a human. But he's been made alive as the son of God and lives in the spiritual realm. And because of that, there's great hope because you and I also will get to live in the spiritual realm for all eternity when we rise from the grave. We too will live because Christ lives today. This is repeated in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 talks about this. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 describes how the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. It says this in Romans 8 11, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. You can say amen to that. That gives you hope. Gives you strength. Resurrection means Jesus is made alive in the Spirit and so can we if we believe in Jesus. So I have to ask a question right now. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? 44 years ago today, in Donna Waggett's Sunday school class, I gave my life to Christ. I realized that my sins were cause for Jesus to die on a cross. And I realized that Jesus rose from the grave and that I needed to follow him. And I'm hoping and praying that every one of you here today, you too would believe this gospel, this good news. It's for you. He loves you. He died for you. And it gives us hope. Bob Lapine, I heard this week, talking to a lady. And this lady came to him and said, my marriage is dead. And Bob Lapine said, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And she said, yes. And he said, well, if you can believe that the Son of God can rise from the dead, do you think that he can also cause your marriage to rise from the dead? 
Good point, don't you think? Today you might have walked in here and you think your dream is dead, your marriage is dead, your hope is dead. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all these lesser dead things have hope, a living hope. This gives us great strength, great hope for us today. The resurrection of Jesus means that he is made alive. There's a second great hope that we have today. It's not just that Jesus is made alive, but also that Satan has lost. Satan has lost. This is what we see in verse 19. Look at it, what it says in 1 Peter 3, 19, in which he, that's Jesus, went to proclaim to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. The resurrection of Jesus means that Satan has lost. And when I mean Satan, I mean Satan and all his minions. I mean all parts of the kingdom of darkness. Look again at verse 19 in which he went to proclaim to the spirits in prison. What is this talking about? Who are the spirits? What did they formally disobey? What prison? The Apostles' Creed, written centuries after Christ rose from the grave, declares that Christ went and preached in hell in between the cross and the resurrection. In fact, our Catholic friends who have such a built-out theology actually have a term for this. I love it, actually. It's called the harrowing of hell. The harrowing of hell. You ever had a harrowing experience? The harrowing of hell means to plunder. What did, what did Jesus plunder? Jesus plundered the evil powers of the kingdom of darkness, took them, redeemed them, and according to Ephesians 4.9, gave them as gifts to his church to build up and overcome evil in this world. Isn't that awesome? These are the spoils of war. This gives us great hope. Jesus made alive. And then he preached. Jesus in the time between the cross and the resurrection, we believe went to the Father. Because remember, he says, into my hands I commend my spirit. And he proclaimed victory. He proclaimed victory. There are some out there on TV that say that Jesus really didn't die fully on the cross and he actually died in hell. And then he was... He was born again, the firstborn of the dead, Revelation 1.4. But firstborn means he was preeminent, that he was the first to rise again, not that he was born again in hell. So what are the spirits? Who are these spirits? Well, let's look at the context here. It's talking about Noah. All of a sudden, like, what? why talk about Noah? In fact, this is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to, to uh, interpret. Let's go back to um, Genesis 
chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. This is the first book in the Bible if you want to look at it yourself. Genesis chapter 6. And, you know, Adam and Eve had already been created and they had children. And we get all the way down to chapter 6 of Genesis. When man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Let's pause there for a moment. I love the Bible. It just gives so many reasons why we live as we do today. And there's why there's, um, there's an, only a, a certain amount of years that people live. No one lives more than 120 years. If it was, very rare exception. The Bible explains this. The Bible can be trusted. Look back at verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man who was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart, to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the context that we are reading. And so who are those spirits? They're part of the kingdom of darkness. They could be evil spirits, demons, or they could be a part of the divine councils. It says the sons of God. I want to show a video to you right now that maybe helps you a little bit more. It's called The Bible Project and helps explain further what the sons of God are, who they are. For most of human history, people have believed in some kind of spiritual realm that exists alongside the world as we know it. Right, and the biblical authors are no exception. Yeah, for them, the spiritual realm is a different kind of realm than ours. And to highlight that difference, the Bible refers to God's space as the sky or the heavens. Because the sky is really different from the land. It's above and beyond. And up there are shiny bodies that move around. I think of these as flaming gas balls. But when the biblical authors looked up, the stars gave them a way to talk and think about spiritual beings. In the Bible, they're called the sons of God, or the rulers and authorities, or even sometimes the divine council. So that sounds really important. What does the divine council do? Well, they're introduced in Genesis chapter 1, where they're called the host of heaven, that is, the sun, moon, and stars. And there, they're also called signs, meaning that their power and status symbolizes and points to God's power and status. Yeah, so in Genesis 1, God appoints them to rule over the day and night. Exactly. And then later in the Bible, we're told that they were celebrating God's power and creativity when he created the world. Like the cheering section of a game. Yeah, right. There are also stories in the Bible where God invites the divine council to participate in making a decision. Like when they help decide how to bring down the corrupt Israelite King Ahab, or in the book of Job, where they debate God's policy of rewarding people who do good. So they're like God's staff team. But why does God need a team? If he's powerful enough to create the whole universe, he could surely rule it without any help. Well, he doesn't need them. But apparently, the God of the Bible wants to share authority with others. Oh, right. God shares his rule with human partners on earth. And so, in the same way, there's a parallel story of God sharing his authority to rule with 
spiritual partners. Yes, that is, until it all falls apart in a twin rebellion. So you have humans who want to rule on Earth on their own terms. So they start building their own nation using their own definitions of good and evil. Yeah, the famous story of the building of Babylon. But check this out. When biblical authors like Moses or Isaiah looked back at the origins of Babylon, they saw more than just a human rebellion, but also a spiritual rebellion. What was this spiritual rebellion? Well, there were members of the Divine Council who, like the humans, didn't want to represent God's authority anymore. They wanted to be God, and they rebelled. And so these created beings deceived humans into worshiping them instead of the Creator. And so Babylon becomes the biblical image for the combined human and spiritual rebellion. And so God scatters the people from Babylon into different nations. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says, this is when God also scattered the rebels of the divine council with them. So the nations are handed over to spiritual rulers. Yes, and this is why when the biblical prophets look out at the violent empires of their day, they see two dimensions to all the chaos and injustice. Human rebels who are being corrupted by the worship of spiritual rebels, the idol gods of money, sex, and military power. Yeah, when humans give their allegiance to these powers, it leads to a world like ours. Right, and the best example of this is the story of the Exodus, where we're told that the Egyptian genocide of the Israelites was inspired by Pharaoh and by the gods of Egypt. That's really intense. But it's not the end of the story. When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and its gods, he invited them to become his covenant partners and learn a different way of ruling the world. And they agree to it, but in the end, they don't honor the partnership. They give their allegiance to other gods. And so this leads to their exile in Babylon, where they become slaves once again to a foreign nation and their spiritual rulers, awaiting a new exodus into freedom. And this is where the story of Jesus picks up. He said he was here to rescue the world and take it back from the rebels. Which rebels, the human ones or the spiritual ones? Exactly. For Jesus, it was all connected. When he marched into Jerusalem for Passover, he was announcing the ultimate exodus. He was there to confront and overcome all rebel powers and authorities, and he did it by giving up his life. So this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, triumphing over them by the cross. Yes. Jesus condemned our evil by allowing the rebels to unleash all their hate and evil on him. But then he overcame it with the power of his love and resurrection life. And then Jesus told his followers that all authority in heaven and earth now belongs to him. Yeah, the ultimate human and divine partner. This is really good news. Yeah, and it's why the apostles started inviting everyone to give their allegiance to the risen Jesus, to discover freedom and a new way to be human. Now, while Jesus gained a decisive victory over the rebel powers, he didn't destroy them. They're still around causing problems. Yes, and in fact, they are the problem. The apostles said that humanity's real enemy is never another human. Rather, it's the spiritual powers that animate our cultural idols that inspire hatred, division, and violence. Ah, so when I see people hurting other people, behind it is the divine council gone rogue. How do you deal with this kind of enemy? Well, the Apostle Paul said we can resist by putting on the character traits of Jesus like armor, faithfulness, justice, and peace. And he said that our only weapon is the word of God. That is, the biblical story of good news that Jesus has overcome all rebels with the divine power of his life and love.
Jesus has overcome the divine rebels. His power and love is demonstrated in the resurrection. We find great hope in this. What did Jesus proclaim? Did he, he say to these divine beings, these supernatural beings, these, this king of darkness, you got a second chance? No. Will there ever be missionaries in hell? No. There are no second chances. So when Jesus went, went to proclaim to these spirits, he was proclaiming victory. In fact, the Apostle Peter goes on and describes in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, this truth. Look at it, what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, literally Tartarus, this holding cell, and committed to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Was Jesus taunting here? Was he going into essentially the, the enemy locker room and hoisting the trophy? Is that what he was doing? No, he was saying, I have won. I am sovereign. You must bow. I am the risen king. I am the risen king. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 describes that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. These these sons of God, these demonic forces were being kept. And Jesus was saying, I have won. I am the king. You must bow. Resurrection means Jesus is made alive and Satan has lost. He is disarmed, as Colossians 2, verse 15 says. What does it say? He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in op- to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Is that good news for you today? Christ has won. Satan has lost. So the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is made alive and Satan has lost. But also a third hope, the resurrection of Jesus means we must pledge loyalty to God. Here's what we see in verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to them. In baptism, believers are also saved from those cosmic powers. But let's just... Go back for a moment. Verse 20. Why does Peter describe Noah and the days of Noah? Patrick Henry Reardon describes going back to Genesis about the ark. The word for ark is teva. Teva. It's only used twice in the Old Testament. Once when Noah was building the ark. And a second time, when Moses, baby Moses, was in that basket, being rescued as he went down the Nile, because Pharaoh had said that all the Hebrews had to throw their, their babies into the Nile River and be eaten by those crocodiles and drown. Both Moses and Noah were saved through the waters, through a teva. It's an Egyptian word. 
It's not a Hebrew word. You would have thought they would use boat or ship to describe this ark. But it's actually Teba. And so what does this have to do with baptism? Well, baptism is essentially a transportation vehicle, symbol of what Christ has done for us. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, describes this. This this ark is like a coffin, but we're transported from death to life, just like the ark of old. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. This gives us great hope. I remember a man who I was getting ready to get baptized, and he said, John, I want you to hold me under the water for 45 seconds. He was a swimmer. He could hold his breath for long periods of time. And I said to his name was Steve. I said, Steve, I'm not going to hold you underwater for that long. Because first of all, people think I'm going to kill killing you, right? <laughs> but it doesn't really communicate what baptism is all about. You go under the water quickly. Because water has always represented death and chaos. But you are brought in the water and rescued from it. Just as... Same thing with death, because of Jesus' resurrection. Your sins have been buried with Christ, and you are raised to new life. Just like what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. So you're saying, well, John, it says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. See, baptism is symbolic of the work of Christ has already done in your heart. So today, you see here, we have the cross, and behind that is the baptismal tank. Cross first, baptism right after. That's why today, if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, we're hoping to baptize you really soon. We're hoping to have a baptism next week. Because you want to demonstrate and pledge allegiance and pledge loyalty to Jesus Christ. Remember when I talked about the beauty that I rescued from the United States? Lori? She has now become one of us. She's a Canadian citizen. And when she became that Canadian citizen, she had to pledge allegiance to the throne. At the time, it was Queen Elizabeth. Now it would be soon to be King Charles. After he's coronated. When we are getting baptized, we are pledging allegiance to Jesus. We're saying there's no other gods but him. We must pledge loyalty to Christ. Friends, today, you have an opportunity to pledge loyalty to Jesus Christ. Where Jesus has cleansed you, saved you by his blood, and offered you new life. The question is, are you all in? Jesus doesn't accept half-hearted, just like you would never accept half-hearted. He wants all Of you. He wants all of you. The resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus made alive 
And Satan has lost. He's, he's overcome. He's triumphed over his enemies, his opponents. And it means that we must pledge loyalty to Christ. I'm wondering if today is the day of salvation for some of you like it was for me so long ago. Many of you have been journeying with us. You've been coming to church, never went to church really in your life, and, and it's Easter. I can't think of a better time than today that you would receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the resurrected Lord, that you would pledge allegiance to the ultimate King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The choir is going to sing here in just a moment, but I'm going to um, give you time and space where you just talk to God And you ask yourself, first of all, this question, are you all in? Are you all in with Christ? No matter if you've been following him for a long time, maybe backing off a little bit, or you've never fully surrendered your life to Christ, are you all in? You talk to the Lord about that, right?